Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Today, we are finishing our journey through the book of Revelation. We started this back in the fall, exploring Revelation, this wild, weird, wonderful book of Bible prophecy, the end times, beasts and dragons, and the, the mark of the beast, the antichrist, and plagues and judgments, and lakes of fire, and new heavens and new earth, and the celestial city, New Jerusalem, and all of this. And the center of it all is, is Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords who's coming back in power and glory. Revelation is such a wonderful book. I have a confession to make that when we started last summer thinking about what to preach about this year and someone on staff said, you should preach through Revelation. I said, not on your life. You know, again, you remember why Revelation is the book that everybody in the church wants the preacher to preach because they don't understand it, and none of the preachers want to preach it because they don't understand it, and so it's just that that issue's always been kind of below the surface and always wondering that, but I got to tell you, God has spoken to my heart so much through this book and blessed me and challenged me, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you as well. I think we can all acknowledge there's a still a lot of stuff we don't understand, and we'll have to wait and see how it all unfolds as part of the mystery and God's goodness and his plan kind of keeping it exciting, not giving out all the plot spoilers. You know, there's still a lot of things that we need to wait and see how it's going to unfold. But in the meantime, there's something we can do as we wait. And that's what the last part of the book of Revelation is all about. Revelation chapter 22, starting at verse 6. I encourage you to turn in your Bible there. Revelation chapter 22. We'll start reading at verse 6. This is on page 1042. If you go too far, you get to the book of weights and measures. And you don't want to be reading there today, so you want to make sure you stay in Revelation for that, all right? Some of you are just getting that. Okay, all right, that's that's fine. This is on page 1042, 1042. And I'd like you to just listen carefully as I read, okay? And just kind of imagine John is, in fact, this is exactly, you don't need to imagine this, this is what John's doing. John the Apostle, he's been given this fantastic vision of the future, and angels been showing them step by step, scene by scene, what's unfolding in the future, and he comes to the very end of it, and here's the epilogue. This is the climax of it all. This is is really what are we supposed to do? What's the big takeaway? The big takeaway as we are finishing up this story, and uh, what is it that he really wants us to do because of this book? Then he, the angel, said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. 
And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is God's word. John, when he finishes this narration of this fantastic vision of the future, as he comes to the very end, he listens to what the angel says to him and what Jesus himself says to him, and he summarizes all of it by showing us what are we supposed to do. This is the big takeaway from this revelation that John has been given to, uh, and has now given to us. And the big takeaway is this, and it's it's kind of like when you're listening, um, maybe you've been in a city or you've seen this in a movie or on television, or maybe you've been in a big city where there's a large cathedral and they have several bells that are playing on the hour at different occasions and you hear the different notes that the bells are striking and you hear certain ones that just over a period of time begin to be repeated over and over and that, that tone, that gong, that dong just kind of resonates with you. It's like that theme that just keeps coming back in the song that's being played by those bells. And John, in a sense, is saying all these bells are playing and this is the, the tone that keeps coming back. Do you see it? It's repeated three times. And then a little more beyond that. Jesus says three times, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. The time is near. I am coming soon. These things are about to take place. They could happen at any moment. I am coming soon. And if that is true, if Jesus is coming soon, what are you and I supposed to do because of that? And so the question really is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back at any time? 
And I think we have to be honest about this, is that if, if we found out today, like if we just kind of walk out of church and get in our cars and all of a sudden we hear the, the angel's trumpet and we see Jesus coming back in the clouds and all of a sudden we realize today's the day, here he is, he's coming. Some of us are going to be saying, yes, yes, I've been waiting for this all my life. But a bunch of us are going to go, oh no, I got plans today. I'm supposed to go on a picnic. We've got VBS next week. It's my birthday. There's a wedding coming. There's, I, I can't go now, Jesus. I'm busy. I'm being facetious, I realize. But there's a point where for some people, instead of being something that they praise, they panic. They're dreading the coming of Christ because they've got things to do, places to be, people to see. And they don't want to go. They're not ready for Jesus to come back. How do you get ready? How do you develop an attitude that says, I really want you to come? I really want to pray like John prays at the end of the book, even so, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Let it be today. Please come today. How do you pray like that? How do you get to that place? I think as we read through this epilogue, all these little statements that Jesus and the angel and John makes, I think it just becomes very clear. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? How you get ready is learn to worship Jesus now. You worship Jesus now. That's the key. You develop a lifestyle that says, Jesus, you're the most important. Jesus, you're the one I'm hungry and thirsty for. Jesus, you're the one who can cleanse me and make me whole. You're the one who really keeps me, protects me, sustains me. I want to hold on to you and your truth as well. I worship you because you are the one who gave your life for me. I put you first, and therefore it's just plain as day when you show up. You're the one thing, the one person, the one event I want to take place because I love you most of all. So let's look at this passage and just see how John explains this to us here today. When he starts off in verse 6, he's just reminding us that what he's revealed, what God has given to him and what John has reported, he's saying, I saw these things, I heard these things, I know they're true, and you can trust what Jesus has said. He is coming soon. He's coming at any moment. These things are about to take place, and you need to be thinking about it. I know a couple of you are right away are starting to push back. Well, pastor, if I'm not mistaken, John wrote these things about 90 AD or so, and here it is 2,000 years later, and Jesus didn't show up. That doesn't seem very soon. How can you get away saying, how can you get away with saying that it's coming soon? It's almost here. It's near. And what we have to constantly remember is that from God's frame of mind, it is soon. Because it's like Peter says in one of his letters that a thousand years with the Lord is like a day. A thousand years is just like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. So time's totally different with God. He's outside of time. We go through constant change. That's how we measure time. We experience aging and uh, death and dying and loss. We experience those things. We go through those mile markers in our life and we measure time. God doesn't measure time because he stays the same. And he's in an eternal constant state of joy and happiness and bliss and self-sufficiency, and just everything is right, and there's no change. 
until he's outside of time. And so as far as God's concerned is these things are about to take place. If you were to look at a calendar or a timeline of the events of biblical history and human history, there is nothing else that has to happen before Jesus comes back and starts all this in motion. That is the next thing on the agenda. It could happen at any moment. Before we finish this service, it could begin. And that's the truth. And so when the scripture is saying it's near, it's soon, he's not lying. He's not like your kids in the middle of summer saying, when's it Christmas or when's it my birthday? Oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And you know, you're months and months and months or years away. And it's one of those things where he's saying, no, it really is soon. Just be ready. Just be prepared. Don't be caught off guard. So as John is listening, he hears Jesus say this, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. This is the first way we get ready for Jesus to come. The, the first thing we do if we are truly committed to worshiping Jesus and keeping him at the center of our lives, letting him be Lord of our lives, waiting, you know, anticipating his arrival, we practice a daily obedience, a daily faith in him. That's the idea of we keep his words. We do what he says. We believe what he says. And we build our lives around that. We love and honor Jesus. And we just want to know and do what he says. We believe what he says. And we make that the basis of our lives. That's how we make our decisions. Am I doing what honors him or not? Am I really believing him or not? And he says, you're doing this keeping. You're doing this trust and obedience with the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, a lot of us look at Revelation and we say, well, you know, the big mystery is here. Who is the Antichrist? We try to figure out who he is or what he's doing. And we think about 666. We try to decipher that. And we look at all the other things that are very cryptic and hard to understand in Revelation. We say, that's what this book is all about. It's like a big giant puzzle that we're supposed to unravel and put together. And no, what he's trying to say is the message of Revelation is, yes, all these horrible things are taking place now and in the future, but you need to hold on. You need to stay true. You need to go through the ups and downs. You need to go through the hardship, even the persecution. You need to be willing to endure this and hold on to Jesus today, even though everything is trying to shake you loose and make you quit and to give up following Jesus, to give up doing his word, and instead give in to idolatry and give in to immorality and give in to the, the, the powers, the governmental forces, the industrial forces, military forces of our world that constantly seek to divide us from Jesus, that we would love them and their idols more than we would love our God who created us. And so the challenge for us is to stay faithful and to keep his word, to keep holding on to his word and not let go of it. And again, holding on to his word, sorry to maybe be a little elementary about this, but it's not just saying I'm going to hold on to it. It's I'm going to believe it and hold on to it in my heart. And I'm going to believe it and obey it and hold on to it in my mind, my will, and my emotions, and in my physicality as well. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to hold on to it that way. You can cherish your Bible and never obey it. You can read your Bible from cover to cover and never obey it. And the only way you hold on to it is to trust it 
and obey what he says, to do what he says. Now, the reason why we do this is because he's the object of our worship. We do this, we, we keep his word because he's the one who's worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship and worthy of our loyalty. And so John goes further and he says, I, I saw and heard these things and I'm testifying that they are true. And John says, when I saw that angel and I saw these visions and all that and the angel's been revealing this to me, I just was so overwhelmed. I think John, if he were here, he would explain this, give us a little bit of the backstory. I was so overwhelmed with his power. I was so overwhelmed with the vision and the might of, of his presence and what he explained to me, the wisdom of it all, the beauty of it all. I just fell down. I was overcome. I fell down and I started worshiping him. And the thing is, John does this a couple times in the book. And you think he'd learn his lessons. You think his knees would be getting sore. But he, the angel just gently says, look, you must not do that. I'm a servant of God like you. I'm a servant of God like the prophets are. I'm a servant of God just like all the people who do keep the words of this book. We're supposed to worship God. This is what's most important. And so make this the focus of your life. This is why you keep his word, because he's most important. He's most valuable. He's the one who's behind all of this. And you honor him and you worship him. And the thing that I think is absolutely fascinating as I read this, the angel says, worship God. But then as John begins reporting what Jesus says and what he knows, it becomes very clear that the God that he's talking about is none other than Jesus himself. He's God. And so it's worship Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who reveals the prophecy. He's the one that reveals all this. And that's why he then says in verse 10, don't seal up the words of this prophecy of this book for the time is near. Daniel, in the Old Testament, the guy that was thrown in the lion's den, remember him, that Daniel? Okay, so Daniel, later in his life, he gets a vision of the future, much like John gets a vision of the future in Revelation. But Daniel's told, you take that prophecy that I've given you, you roll it up, you seal it, and don't let anybody know about it. And Daniel does that. But here John's given, you know, he sees the scroll opened and it's unrolled and it's all being read. And as he does that, the angel says to him and Jesus says to him through the angel, don't roll it back up and seal it up. You need to make sure everybody knows this. There needs to be full disclosure of this plan. Now, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we still don't understand, but everything that we see here Everything that's been spoken, everything that's been visualized for us here, you're supposed to make sure everybody knows this. It's very important that there be a full disclosure of this information. Why? Because these things are about to take place and people need to get ready. But not only is Jesus the, the revealer of prophecy, but he's also the judge of everybody. He's the one that holds all people accountable. And so in verse 11, we're going to come back to this because this is the hardest verse in this section, if not in the whole book of Revelation, I think. What is he trying to say in verse 11? Let the evildoers still do evil and let the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do righteous and the holy still be holy. We'll come back to this in a moment, but I think he's saying that the evildoers are going to get what they deserve as evildoers. And the filthy people who, who are engaged in immorality and worship idols, they're going to get what's coming to them. But so will the righteous people and so will the holy people. 
There will be a day where everyone is held accountable for what they've done. In verse 12, he says, look, and see, he explains this in verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my recompense. It's another fancy way of saying a reward. I'm bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he's done. So yes, I'm going to hold the unrighteous and the filthy accountable for what they've done because I'm the judge. I bring the reward or the judgment. And the holy and the righteous, they're going to get what they deserve because I'm the judge as well. I'm the one that's bringing the reward. I pay back everybody for what they've done. And so we worship Jesus because he is not just the son of God, but he is God. He is certainly God the son, but he is God. Understand that. He's not a step below He's doing the work of God, revealing history, judging the nations, holding everything accountable. And I want you to see the third thing that shows the deity of Christ here. He's the one who's the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega, the first and the last. Those are titles of deity as well. He's saying, I'm the one that was there that created everything at the first heavens and earth. And I'm the one that will create the new heavens and the new earth. I'm there at the beginning when it all started. And I'll be there at the end when the new age, the new kingdom comes. I'm the one who's in total control of history. I'm in charge of it all. I am Lord over history. And that's what Jesus is claiming when he says I'm the Alpha and Omega. For those of you that... uh, Maybe you're not aware of that, but he's talking about the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the language of the New Testament, and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, the Z, so to speak, of the, of the Greek language as well, the alphabet. And he's saying, I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I was there when it started. I'm there when it ends. I'm the one in total control and everything in between. I'm the Lord of history. And in all of this, he wants you and I to understand That he is the judge of all people and he is the controller of all history. He is the revealer of all prophecy. And he is the one who is coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one that we're accountable to. That's why we keep his word. Because he's worthy. That's why we worship him. Because he's worthy. You remember at the very beginning of Revelation when we got to chapter 5, that big scroll. No one was able to open up the scroll except the lamb who had been slain before the foundation of the world. He triumphed. He's worthy. And he is in command. And all of history ushers forth from his command. He's in charge. And he's worthy. That's why we keep his word. Because he's worthy. He's Lord of all. But I don't know about you. I struggled to obey. I struggled to believe. I struggled to be faithful to Jesus, to love him more than anything else. And I often fail at that. And perhaps you do too. In fact, I kind of know you do because you're human and I'm human and we struggle with these things. So what do you do about that? Is there a remedy for that? Is there any kind of forgiveness? Is there any kind of reconciliation when we don't measure up to what God is calling us to do? And thankfully, as John is reporting these things at the end of Revelation, he's reminding us that not only is Jesus worthy of our worship and therefore we keep his word, but even if we fail, he is the one who can cleanse us and restore.
restore us back to a relationship with God. And so that's why in verse 14, he's saying, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And the city he's referring to there is the new Jerusalem we just read about in chapter 21 and 22. The beautiful heavenly city with the gemstone foundations and the walls made of diamond and the streets of gold and the river of life and the tree of life and all that vivid imagery of a garden and a city and the place of the dwelling of God with people. Humans and God together for all eternity, working together, bringing order to the entire new heavens and the new earth, working the plan of God and his power with his unlimited resources and energy. And he's saying here that there are people who have a right to enter that city and they get to eat of that tree of life and they have eternal life in the process. And the only people who get to experience that are people who have washed their robes. Why do they need their robes washed? We all need our robes washed, so to speak, because we've all stained our lives by sin. There's a stench about our lives. There's a stain about our lives because we've disobeyed God. We've hurt ourselves and we've hurt other people and we've offended God. And we do that. And that's just the constant state of the human race. We just do that. But if you want to get into the heavenly city, New Jerusalem, and have that eternal life and be part of God's plan for all eternity, somehow you've got to get your robe washed. How do you get your robe washed? We have to remember back to something that was said back in chapter 7 when it talks about the, the innumerable throng of people that were standing. Why don't you just turn there, Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. Just hold your place there in chapter 22. But when John sees this multitude, one of the elders, it says in verse 13, addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where did they come? Have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. And what's the great cleaning solvent? The blood of the lamb. The people that are standing in the multitude before God, worshiping him and praising him, clothed in these white robes, they, they've received that holiness and purity and cleansing because they've come to Christ and his blood has washed them clean. And the idea behind the blood of the lamb is talking about Jesus' death, that he gave his life for us on the cross, that he died for us. And when we trust him, the effects and power of his death are applied to us so we are forgiven, so we can be cleansed, so we can be brought into the presence of God and reconciled with him. And so those that are here today that have never trusted Christ and you've never had your sins forgiven and you're dreading that fact that Jesus Christ is coming back and you're thinking, you're thinking I'm not ready to see him because I know I'm guilty, I'm ashamed, and I'm not ready to face him because I know I'm just not right with him. John is saying here, look, there's a way to get washed. To get your robes washed and all the stains removed. Put your trust in Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross. Receive his cleansing. 
And what do we do if we've already become a child of God and we failed him or we've sinned? What do we do? You come back to him and you receive his forgiveness and cleansing. We admit, Lord, I fell short. I haven't measured up. I haven't done what you've asked me to do. I I haven't loved you most of all. I, I turn away from that and I turn back to you. Please forgive me. And there's forgiveness and there's cleansing in Christ. And the alternative is, is if you reject this cleansing, then notice what he says in verse, six, verse 15. Outside that city, there are the dogs. And some of you are right away saying, wait, 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 wait. You mean my dog's not going to heaven? It's outside the city? I don't know if your dogs are going to heaven or not. I honestly don't know. I'm not, that's beyond my pay grade. But I am just, uh, I'm just letting you know that, Okay. But when he talks about dogs here, he's not talking about man's best friend. He's talking about, it's, he's, he's using a very derogatory comment from the first century world, especially among Jewish people, when they thought of people that were outside the faith because very few people had dogs as pets. Dogs would roam the garbage dump and eat the trash and they would fight among themselves and they would attack people and they'd do all that kind of stuff and people didn't like dogs for the most part. And so if you really wanted to really insult somebody, you dirty dog. Yeah, that was an insult. And it was especially applied to people that would practice immorality or worship idols. And so he's talking about people that do that. And then he's, he's talking about people that practice witchcraft and sexual immorality and murderers and idolaters and everyone that loves and practices falsehood. All liars, false teachers. These people will be excluded from the heavenly city. They'll not be part of the new Jerusalem and that eternal life and that relationship with God of peace and happiness for all eternity and purpose and, and uh, good work that we're called to do in eternity. They'll be excluded from all that. They, because they've rejected Christ, they get what they want. They've rejected Jesus and they get rejection from Jesus for all eternity. And the people who want Jesus and who love Jesus and who trust him, they get to spend all eternity with Jesus because they get what they want. And I think really as we think about eternity and eternal destinies, you get what you want. You get what you really want. And that's what's happening here. You see, this issue of washing your robe, that's the second way that you get ready for Jesus to come back. You keep his word, yes, because you worship him and love him most of all. But when we fail, when we recognize our sin, when we see that we're lost, it's not us somehow earning our favor with God and somehow deserving and, and, and working for and meriting his blessing. It's not that. It's understanding that I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm ashamed, I'm guilty. I need your forgiveness and cleansing. Lord Jesus, I come to you. You died for me so that I might be made clean and accepted by you. I trust you. I don't want to be excluded. I want to be included. I want to be welcomed into your family and be with you forever. You see, if you really want that, you'll be ready for Jesus when he comes. Because you'll get eternal life if you really want that and trust him for that. But really, I think the bottom line here is, you know, why, why is he insisting that Jesus has to be the focal point? Why is it that we have to worship him? Why is it we have to keep his word? Why is it that he's the only one that can cleanse me and, and make me acceptable in God's sight? Why is that? 
I think the, the bottom line here that he wants us to see is found in these verses that are, that are an invitation beginning in verse, verse 17. And by the way, back in verse 16, Jesus says that he's the one that sent the angels. He gave these things to the churches. He's the root, the origin of David and David's kingdom. And he's the bright morning star. Again, just kind of bringing out that idea of why he deserves to be worshiped. But then notice in verse 17 what he says. Really not what Jesus says, but what the Spirit says, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the church, say. As they see Jesus, the one who cleanses them, the one who purifies them, the one who gave his life for them, the one who is the true Messiah and King, the one who is coming back in power and glory. He's like that bright morning star in the summer sky just before sunrise. You see the planet Venus. The ancients called it the bright star the bright morning star, and you see that star, you know dawn is just about to arrive. It gives hope. It reminds us that a new day is coming. The coming of Jesus is that new day that we're we're, we are expecting. That new age of living with God forever is coming. Because of that, because of that hope, the spirit and the bride say, Come. You can read that and say, well, are they saying it? Who are they saying come to? Are they saying it to Jesus? Jesus come? Maybe. Some Bible teachers believe that, and that's fine. But they also might be saying to the people who are listening, to the people who are reading Revelation, to the people who are hearing someone preach about it, who know the story, who hear the story, maybe the Spirit and the Bride are saying Come. Because look what he says, they say next. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, let him come and take it. Are you thirsty? Do you have a craving in your soul for a joy and a love and a contentment that you can't find anywhere else? Are you looking for your hope to be fulfilled? Are you looking for security? Are you looking for any of these things that we're all craving in life? The Holy Spirit, the church of God, the people who listen to this book, everyone is saying to you and to me, come. You can get your thirst satisfied. It can be quenched. You don't need to chase the idols. You don't need to give in to the powers of oppression. In spite of all that temptation, in spite of all that persecution, you can come to Jesus and he will fill you up. His living water is there for you. He alone will satisfy your thirst. He's the one who quenches the thirst that you have. That's why we worship him. You see, you, you might be thinking, and I know a lot of Christians do think this, is that, well, you know, God's kind of, uh, you know, maybe a little of an egomaniac. He's always insisting that we worship him and put him first. And that sounds a little selfish and things like that. It's not because he knows that's exactly what we need. It's the most unselfish thing he could do to insist that we would worship him. He is worthy of it. He certainly deserves it. He's the only one who merits our love and loyalty unconditionally for all eternity, that we would worship and honor him. Of course we should do that. It's right to do that. But he also is saying if you do that, that's how you get your thirst quenched. That's how you get your robes washed. 
Keeping my word is how you get kept. And I hold on to you. Everything you're looking for is found in worshiping me and coming to me. I'm the one who will meet all these needs of yours. Everything that you're missing in life, everything that you're longing for in life, you can find it in me. Come to me. I'll satisfy your thirst. Come to me. Don't wander anywhere else. Come to me. And so when you understand, when I understand that it's Jesus who meets our deepest needs, it's easy to worship him. And when I understand that he holds on to me and he keeps me, I can keep his word. I am secure in him. I will never be lost from him. I belong to him and he belongs to me. I can keep his word because he keeps me. And when I understand that even when I fail him, I can come to him and he gave his life for me to cleanse me and restore me back into a relationship with him. I can turn to him and find that cleansing because he loves me and loves you so much. We can do that. And so when we think about this keeping his word because we worship him and when we think about coming to him and being cleansed and when we think about this issue of coming to him and letting our thirst be satisfied, it's worth putting him first in all that we do. But there's one more thing that John gives us as he finishes this book, and this is serious. Because, I mean, this is all hope-filled, and it's all inspiring, and there's a lot of joy to celebrate that Jesus is coming back. But here's a very serious warning. And you need to take serious this warning and not discount it in any way. It's easy to read Revelation, I think. I think a lot of us do this. Oh, man, what a fantastic story. I can't wait to read it again. I can't wait to see it all unfold. It'll be exciting. And you can also think that, well, you know, I'm going to miss all that judgment and all that tribulation and all that stuff because Jesus is coming back and going to rapture the church and I don't have to go through any of that. Yay! And we can be excited about that too. But there's this warning. It's not science fiction. It's not a fantasy story. This is what Jesus is doing and this is how we should live because of it. And so John gives this warning in verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of, the, of this book, if anyone adds to them. In other words, if you take the book of Revelation and you superimpose your interpretation, you kind of twist what it says and you add to it, make it more complicated or, you know, somehow in thinking you're enhancing it you're actually adding to it and you're diluting its message. And so he says very simply here, if anyone adds to the words of this book, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. The plagues. <laughs> yeah, all those horrible judgments, especially the biggest one of all, the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. And so he's saying, if you distort this message somehow by thinking you're enhancing it, by adding to it, you're in danger. You're in danger of the fires of hell. But then someone would say, and this is probably in my mind a little more likely, is that someone would say, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. You start subtracting from the message of Revelation. You say these things aren't true, that they're not going to happen. They're not that important. You can just ignore it. You start teaching that. You lead others to do that. Guess what? You're going to have something taken away from you. 
And what you're going to have taken away is your right and your share and the privilege that you would otherwise have to go into the eternal city and share the life of God for all eternity. Your name will be taken out of the book of life. You won't get inside that city. In fact, you'll stay outside the city. You'll be there in judgment, being judged by, by God with all the other folks that have rejected Christ as well. I think John is trying to warn people who teach this book, make sure you're faithful and true to the message of the book. Don't add to it, don't take away from it. Because judgment is coming. But this also brings us back to that strange verse we were reading earlier in verse 11. You know, the one that says that if somebody is you know, unrighteous, they should stay unrighteous, and someone that is filthy, they should stay filthy, and someone that is holy, they should stay holy, and someone who is righteous, they should stay righteous. You know, that kind of a weird, cryptic statement. It's a statement that's kind of ironic, and irony is a, a form of rhetoric to, to kind of get something across in an emphatic way. And though I am not absolutely sure what he's trying to say in verse 11, I, I, don't, I don't think he's commanding people to act that way. It sounds like it, but that doesn't really make sense, the surfacey interpretation. I don't think he's saying it's inevitable that people will just always be that way and that people can't change. But I think what he is saying is the time is near and the time will come when it will be too late to change. It will be too late. And when Jesus comes back, if you're doing something that's filthy, you'll stay that way. It's too late to repent. It's too late to make that spiritual U-turn because he's come. And if you're doing something that's unrighteous, it's too late to start doing righteous stuff and trust Jesus and get your robe washed because he's already come back. And if you're living a holy life or a righteous life, you're going to stay that way because Jesus has come back. It's too late to change once he's returned. And I think he's just trying to get that across, that now is the time to listen to the warning that he's given to you and to me. To make that spiritual you turn and surrender to him. To turn away from sin and idolatry and immorality and selfishness. To make that spiritual you turn and come back to Jesus and surrender to him today. To trust him and keep his word today. To let him wash your robes. To understand he's the only one who can satisfy the longings of your soul, the deep thirst that you have inside. He's the one that can satisfy. So trust him. Come to him. Drink his living water. But today it's not too late. Today is the day to trust him if you've never done that. Today is the day to surrender to him. Today is the day to start worshiping him. Maybe you haven't been keeping his word. You know there's something that he's asking you to do and you haven't been obeying it. Today's the day to start obeying him, to start trusting him. Maybe you, you recognize that there's something that, that you've been doing that has stained your life. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. And you see yourself as God sees you and there's a filth and there's a stain and there's a stench upon your life. And you know today's the day to trust Jesus to be cleansed. But maybe you already are a child of God and you recognize that I'm still doing things that I know are not right and I have failed. It's time to come back to Jesus and let him cleanse you.
and he will do that. And maybe you're finally being honest where you're just saying, you know what? I was hoping that job would make my soul be satisfied. I was hoping that relationship would quench my thirst. I was hoping that hobby, those toys, those possessions, that money, that security, I was hoping those things would really fill up the longing of my soul, and I realize they don't. I'm still empty and thirsty. So today, Lord Jesus, I turn to you, and I ask you to fill my life up with your life. Quench my thirst today. I surrender to you today. I think as we see Jesus as the one who keeps us and cleanses us and satisfies our thirst, when we worship him as the one we need and want above everything else, then we won't panic when he comes back. We'll be praising him because he's who we've been longing to see. He is who we've been waiting for to come. He's the one we're ready to meet because we've been worshiping him and loving him and leaning on him every day as we wait for him to come back. And then we can say, like John, we hear Jesus say, surely, yes, indeed, I'm coming soon. One more time, Jesus is emphatic in saying that, and John responds by saying, amen, so be it. Come, Lord Jesus, I can't wait. Let it be today. And because these things are hard to grasp, John says, I'm praying that the grace of God will be available to everyone. Amen. So that they'll be able to do what they've heard. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. And I thank you for your word of truth, this book of revelation. Thank you for revealing us to us the glory and majesty of Jesus. We kind of knew that already, but to see it in such a vivid portrayal, to, to see it and sense it, almost smell it and taste it, to, to see him coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. I ask that, Father in heaven, that you would help us to surrender to him most of all. I thank you that he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy that we would surrender to him. Thank you for this. And I'm asking that, Lord, you just would please never, help us to never forget him, to be distracted from him, to be preoccupied with something else. But may we surrender to Jesus and yield to him in his life. Lord, I ask that you'd bless my friends who are here today. Thank you for those who are listening and watching. Lord, may in all of this we give glory and honor to praise to you. For we pray that, Lord Jesus, would you please come soon. Amen.